Let's do that hockey. Welcome, everyone, to Dauber Prospects Report number nine. And we took a, de- a brief detour last episode to talk about the World Championships and prospects who were starring there. And we're going to circle back now to our organizational ranks. This is the part three in, of five in that series, continuing on from report number seven, counting down the top prospect pools in the NHL. Teams 15 to 10 are covered on this show today, and there are definitely some more interesting guys to discuss. And there are fewer teams, so we will get to talk about at least a couple from each team. Before we get started, I want to remind you that the Dauber Prospects Report is a member of the Hockey Podcast Network. We're very excited to be part of the Army of Fantastic Hockey Podcasts. Check out at HockeyPodNet for all the shows like this one, talking hockey from fantasy to team coverage to you name it. You can also use the DraftKings promo code THPN for listening to the show. A little bit more on that in a moment. And more big news, the 17th annual Dauber Hockey Fantasy Prospects Report was released recently, and both Pete and I contributed to that. This guide is the Bible for Dynasty Managers. I believed that before I contributed to it. And it's a lowdown on each NHL team's top prospects, 500 prospects with upside, wait times, analysis, top 100 draft prospects, and top 50 NHL prospects and more. Get your copy today at Dauber Prospects or Dauber Hockey in the Shop. And another announcement is that you can win a copy of both the Dauber Hockey Guide and the Fantasy Prospects Report. All you got to do is give our show a five-star review on iTunes, and we'll draw that winner sometime between now and the NHL draft. So you have a little bit of time to get those reviews in. And also, please make sure you leave your name so that we know who you are, and we'll get in touch and give you a code for those fantastic products. With all that out of the way, Pete, how are you doing? Not too bad, Victor. Thanks very much. Got the draft coming up. Pretty excited about that. Hockey seasons are winding down. You got the AHL playoff finals in the go. Probably one more game, I think, of Stanley Cup finals tomorrow night as we record this on Tuesday, June 12th. That means I'm looking forward to meeting you in person in Nashville and and having some yummy food down there in Tennessee. Yeah, it's going to be awesome to meet in person for sure. And hopefully for me anyways, meet a whole bunch of people that I've only known online. And for you, hopefully see these people again. So definitely looking forward to that. And Hopefully by the time you're listening to this, we haven't crowned the Vegas Golden Knights Stanley Cup champs because I'll be very sad about that. All right. Well, let's get on with the show. So the first team up will be the Dallas Stars, who ranked in at the 15th overall position in the organizational rankings. And the Stars have done a really good job. They've hit some home runs at the draft recently, highlighted by their stellar 2017 draft when they added Miro Heiskanen, Jason Robertson, and Jake Ottinger in the same draft. Not too shabby bit of day's work right there, I'd say. Those guys turned out to be three pillars of their roster right now, and they're all just emerging as superstars. And then the hits keep coming after that, too. They added Ty Delandria, Thomas Harley, Wyatt Johnston. Their depth in their prospect pool is okay. It's not the greatest. The top tier of prospects is very good, though. And it's good enough to offer up some solid potential NHL players for support roles in the not-too-distant future. Generally, overall, our consensus on Dallas Stars prospects was pretty good, I think. Looking at a couple of players in particularly, I think Riley Damiani, Damiani comes up first. 
I had him ranked as a five and Victor, you were a little bit more shy on him rating him a three. And the funny thing about this player is I thought I was going to be kind of on the low, low side with my five being a marginal ranking for a player who's like 50, 50 to, to make it to the NHL. It's not that far removed from being a pretty hot commodity in fantasy hockey. So just to, to wind the tape back a little bit on this player, he's Dallas stars, 2018 fifth round pick. He had a nice career in junior, the OHL with Kitchener Rangers. Not great, but, you know, pretty good. He really became a super hot fantasy commodity after his OHL career in his rookie season in the American Hockey League. He kicked in the front door of that league, storming the league with 36 points and 36 games to lead all rookies with points and assists and win the Rookie of the Year award. So he was widely available in dynasty leagues at the time at the start of the season. But by the end of the season, he was a very popular waiver pickup or or ad or whatnot. Trade value and all that was at an all time high peak at this point. Probably making your point for you here, Victor, is I think those stats were a little inflated as it was kind of the covid season in the American Hockey League, the season of 2020-21, where he was a rookie and many of the league's better players and goalies particularly were on NHL taxi squads. So they weren't in the American Hockey League, which kind of watered down the talent of the AHL a little bit. So I had him ranked five because I see him as being pretty NHL ready right now, if he ever will be. It's kind of now. He's not going to get any better. He's a little bit older, so the wait time's near zero for this player. And it's pretty much now or never, like I said. His contract is going to be, I think he's an RFA, so his waiver exemption's over. So that kind of Makes it a little bit more convincing for teams to put him on the roster if he's close, as opposed to risk losing him on waivers. So my expectations for him are low. His production has been kind of trending in the wrong direction for two years now. He's being surpassed on the depth chart. And even if he breaks camp in October with the Stars or in another organization, if they don't sign him or he clears waivers and or goes on waivers and gets picked up by another team or if they trade him, his role in the NHL is going to be a bottom six player and his peripheral stats aren't great. And he's five foot 10. So, you know, not a lot of aggression or physicality in his game. He's not long removed from being a hot fantasy prospect, but he is pretty far from it now. So I ranked him as a five, which I thought was not a high mark, but you're even lower on him. So Victor, I'd like to hear where you're at on him and you seem pretty cold on him. Yeah, you made some good points. And I think one of the biggest ones is the AHL quality of competition in that 2020-21 season. The fact that so many regulars were on taxi squads and, you know, not to diminish entirely what he did, because that's still impressive as an AHL rookie, but he clearly wasn't playing against the best of the best. And so we probably overcorrected all of us, overcorrected a little bit by being a little higher on him than we initially should have. And if you look at his statistical models from before that and the OHL, it really didn't move the needle much. It was really that AHL season that propped him up so much. And so, yeah, he's now 23. He's been in the AHL for three seasons. After the bulk of the good players came back to the AHL, his production diminished and diminished each year after that. And yeah, I'm not sure that they will give him a contract. It seems like he might be the definition of a tweener. You know, a very good AHLer, but not good enough to have an impact in the NHL. You know, hockey prospecting, top-down hockey, they have him at as, as a statistical anomaly to be 
a highly productive NHLer. So the one guy that actually does look like him in the hockey prospecting model is Marcus Johansson, who is like a fringe fantasy asset, I would say. Certainly had some relevance here or there, but not anyone too exciting. And as you mentioned, he definitely, it's now or never for him. So in that sense, I really like him because you're going to, well, you could either let him go because you don't really believe in him or you're going to find out real soon, like, you know, one more season if you want to just kind of hold on to him. He's someone that I have held on to because he's so close. And I thought he was you know, close for the last two years and he just hasn't done it. Hasn't really, you know, transitioned to the NHL, hasn't made an impact. That's why I'm a bit lower on him. I think I'm ready to kind of give up, basically. But yeah, that's Riley Damiani. Then I also wanted to reiterate, like Dallas's drafting makes me want to pay attention to who they draft these days because they've been so good. Some of the later guys, like there's some teams when you draft, when they draft someone like St. Louis is an example of someone I can think of, or even Florida, you know, some of these teams, they draft someone, you're okay, whatever, like not safe pick or, you know, maybe a bottom sixer. And then when Dallas picks somebody, you should perk your ears up and say, okay, because they've had so many second and third rounders turn into stars recently, not their team name, but actual NHL stars. So that makes you kind of perk up a little bit. I don't know if they found another one here, but the next guy we're going to talk about, I was definitely higher on Matthew Semenoff. So he's the next guy we are going to mention. And Semenoff, he is a... 2022 sixth round pick. So definitely a little bit later than most people that if you think they're relevant, that you would want them to be taken. He's a 5'11 right wing. He's a, he's going to be 20 December 27th. And so he's a little bit older for the draft class. He played for the Kamloops Blazers this past season. He was assistant captain for them. You know, his draft season last season wasn't super exciting. He was just under a point per game. And that's probably why he part of the reason why he fell so much anyways. And, you know, Kamloops hosted the Memorial Cup. He had a pretty strong season for them. 82 points in 62 games, 19 and 14 playoff games. So he was able to really raise his PNHLE anyways up to 59, which, you know, 59 for a forward, kind of like fringe fantasy relevant, not super exciting. And he kind of looks in the PNHLE model like a couple of irrelevant NHLers and then Tyler Ennis, who's kind of a borderline relevant NHLer. But he's kind of looking like he's knocking on the door between a middle six and a top six guy anyways. So that gets me a little bit interested. He, in the hockey prospecting model, has some you know modest star potential. Most of the guys he looks like are either replacement level or actual average NHLers. Jeff Sanderson is an average producer that he looks a little bit like, although Jeff took a huge jump in his D plus three season, which, you know, we don't know if that's going to happen or not yet. And our own guide talks about his increased production and how he kind of has helped improve his stock and has him as a comp of Brandon Hagel, you know, a 60 ish point forward, not to, not anything to, you know, write home about, but that's why I gave him a five. You gave him a one. So I guess you don't like 60-point forward speed. Is that what it is? You know what? The fact of the matter here, Victor, is honestly, this is just a player that I was kind of sleeping on. I kind of missed the boat on this one. I didn't do enough research on him, and I feel shame. You feel shame, you know? He's a late draft pick, meaning that, you know, his draft year was good, but he wasn't, you know, big deal 
on draft reports and in his draft year and no one was talking about him or ranking him and he was a late round pick. So he wasn't really on my radar as someone who I needed to pay attention to for fantasy purposes. He's had a nice D plus one season here. And, you know, I watched him play a little bit in the playoffs this year, liked what I saw and he's a valuable, he's a valuable player and he's trending in the right direction. And I'm a little late to the party with Semenov here. So yeah, if I had to do it over again, I would rank him probably closer to where you had him than where I had him. So, you know, those are the kind of things you learn by listening to this podcast and even being a host on it. You still you'll learn some information. So, you know, I was I was a little sleepy on this one. So thanks for waking me up to it. No worries. Yeah, we can't know all the players. Definitely. Some of these are some blind spots for all of us. And yeah, definitely, you know, a depth guy, not like copy a roster guy but Semenov, someone probably you know go check see if he's available he might probably wasn't drafted so let's talk about chicago chicago blackhawks 14th on our list obviously the hawks hit the bedard jackpot but we did these ranks before so he's not included there none of these draft eligible guys are there we're presuming it's bedard i i can't imagine it's not bedard but anyways uh even without that pick the blackhawks have some pretty strong pieces korchinski Looking like he might be a top pairing guy. Lucas Reichel looks like every bit of a top six forward. Nazar certainly had some injuries this year, but he still has a lot of potential. Of course, they're hoping Drew Comesso is the answer in goal, but Soderblom seems to be a stopgap, a pretty capable one in between. And after that, it kind of falls off pretty hard. Del Mastro, Wyatt Kaiser, Colton Dock. I mean, they're decent depth, but not your top of the lineup kind of guys. And we mostly agree on those guys. Towards the bottom, there's some disagreement. So none of the big disagreements on the top guys. And so that's kind of good to know. But the first guy we're going to talk about, I'm a little higher on Ryan Green and you're a little higher on Ian Mitchell. So we'll start with Ryan Green. And I had him as a six and you didn't rank him. So there's definitely a big discrepancy there. So Ryan Green, he was drafted just last year, 2022, second round. Pretty old for his draft date. I think that's important to keep in mind. 21st of October is when he was born. So he's just over a month in terms of if he was born like five weeks earlier, he would have been eligible for uh, for this year's draft. So that's kind of interesting. 6'1", 175-pound center, drafted out of the USHL last year, had 51 points in 59 games. So, you know, pretty good. Not amazing or anything. But then he went to Boston University and he fit in pretty, Pretty, pretty well, I would say. 31 points in 38 games. That's pretty good for first-year college players. I mean, not going to win you the Hobie Baker or anything, but that's pretty strong production, especially at center. You know, kind of difficult position there. His PNHLE, according to that model, he's looking like a second line, you know, just rising above second line potential. PNHLE of 47, which isn't super exciting. Got some comps of guys like Ryan Hartman, Cal Clutterbuck, Ryan McLeod. So kind of some tweener relevant guys. Remember, Ryan Hartman's pretty interesting now, but he took a long time to get to that point. So I bet pretty much anyone who drafted him dropped him. Ryan Green is another guy. Is a guy who in the top-down hockey model, 2% chance of being a star in that model, 9% chance of being an NHLer, and in the hockey prospecting model, a little bit more faith there. So you got some disagreement in the models here. But even though he had a pretty good increase in his star potential or his his equivalency from college, 
I think his lackluster production in the USHL diminished his ability to raise that star potential. Just 8% chance of being a star, so pretty low. And most of the guys he looks like do not look super exciting, but there's one guy, there's one out of the, I think, 25 or so comps for Ryan Green that is interesting, and that's Nick Schmaltz. Nick Schmaltz also drafted by the Chicago Blackhawks, and actually their trajectory is kind of similar in terms of USHL, Schmaltz definitely had better D-1 in draft seasons, but Green had a better D-1 year. So there's some similarities there. But then Schmaltz really took off in his D-2 and D-3 season. In his D-2 season, he had a fantastic second year in the NCAA and then went into the NHL. And obviously, we know Schmaltz is a productive guy now. So that's a little bit of the background on him. Our guide describes him as a two-way center with plenty of offensive upside and he was one of the he did a great job of adding some strength and bulk to his frame and that he sees him as a organizational top six center and the comparable that is used in the guide for ryan green is elias lindholm that i think is a pretty lofty outcome for ryan green what do you think pete can ryan Green be anything close to Nick Schmaltz? I'm not going to pose it as Elias Lindholm because I think that's a pretty, pretty big leap for him. Yeah, I think he could be. He's starting to look like a late bloomer, I think. I didn't rank him despite him being a second round selection. I felt that his production in the USHL was just okay. Yeah, like you said, in his draft year, he had 51 points in 59 games, but he's also a minus 20 that year. I'm not sure how good the team he was on was and if it was just like a bottom of the league team and i'd have to do a little bit more research to get the context on that and if that's the case then you know 51 points in 59 games on the bottom feeder team is pretty good and the minus 20 is just part of his environment more than a reflection of, of his play as is you mentioned in his ncaa season this is where he starts to get interesting his stock did improved i may be slower reacting you know, he's a second round pick here. So it's 31 points in 39 games was solid. Like you said, seventh overall in team scoring, though. So, you know, not kicking in the front door there. Barely a top six player there, I would say. His plus minus improved. And I guess that was, again, potentially as a product of his environment as Boston was a pretty good team last year. And he went from a minus 20 to a plus 18. That's a pretty big swing in his plus minus. I still think it's a little premature to be dishing out comps and projections like Nick Smaltz and Elias Lindholm with 70 point projections for this player, but he is trending in the right direction. There's no question about that. And so my score might have been a little bit low or maybe I'm sleeping on this guy too, which is odd because I pay attention to the Boston Terriers a little bit as, as well as I can in Canada. It's hard to watch their games here. I tried subscribing to whatever I forget network it is that broadcasts their games and it refused to allow to take my money because I live in Canada. So I tried, but I can't. And so, yeah, that's two players that I'm probably just a little sleepy on. And you're making some pretty good selling points for these guys, Victor. And, you know, I looked him up after doing some research for this podcast on the weekend. And unfortunately, he's not available at any of the leagues I'm in. Otherwise, I would have picked him up. So let's move on and talk about a guy that I was higher on than you were. And that is Ian Mitchell. Another Hawks prospect, of course, Ian Mitchell's 24-year-old right shot defenseman, and he's now played 82 career NHL games, and he played 35 games for the Hawks last season. This summer, he's going to be a restricted free agent. 
And I'm expecting that he should sign a contract with the Hawks and be a roster player as he will not be waiver exempts. The waiver exempt thing is a little overlooked, I think, by the casual fantasy hockey fan who's dealing with prospects. It's something that you really need to pay attention to. I think you'll play for the Hawks full time, but possibly not for a long time. The Hawks are in a rebuild and reload and they're picking up prospects at a pretty quick clip and draft picks here. And I think he's going to get surpassed in the not too distant future after some of the players in their system get some AHL seasoning. And I'm looking at you, Kevin Korczynski, Dolan Allen, Ethan Del Mastro, and there's more to come in the near future. In his 35 games that he played this season, he had eight points and was a half a hit per game and a blocked shot per game. So there is some good value there for this player as a cheap salary cap roster option for your league. He's 20% rostered on Fantrax. So unless you didn't rank him, Victor, based on the games played on his career level, then I'm not sure why I kind of have to say I disagree with him not even being ranked on your roster. If he still qualifies as a prospect, he's a guy who looks like a surefire roster player. I'm sure low impact, but someone who's definitely going to get some games played and can give you a variety of stats, a little bit of offense, a little bit of hits, a little bit of blocks. If, you know, heaven forbid your league counts plus minus, though. (laughs) Yeah, well, there's a reason. There is a reason. It's not the games played. I have liked Ian Mitchell before. and. I do think he has some pretty good offensive upside. I mean, that's what he's built at. He's got a lot of creativity and mobility. Hasn't really translated to the NHL. And I think there's a reason for that. And it's because his defense is horrid. And I mean, really bad. When you look at some of his rampum charts, people who listen to me probably know that I like to quote these from Evolving Hockey, but it looks at standard deviations of like their expected goals against and Corsi against numbers. And he there is literally, statistically, no worse defenseman in the NHL than Ian Mitchell in terms of the games and minutes he has played. So I, I think that he has offense to offer, but I'm worried that NHL coach is just simply not going to play him because... You would have to have Kale McCarr level offense in order to justify that poor defense. And even then, I'm not even sure if it would be worth it. And you look at some of his offensive impacts, and I'm sure part of this was related to the Blackhawks not being great last year, but his offensive impacts weren't great. Again, he didn't have a whole lot to work with, so I'm not necessarily holding that against him, but he would have to have off the charts great offense in order for that to happen. So that's really what it comes down to for me. I'm just looking. And like you said, though, he is at that point where he needs to make an impact or, you know, maybe go play in Europe or something else because it's time for him to be there. He's NHL ready. I I don't know if they can rehab his defense enough. If that can be the case, maybe they can pair him with the stable enough defensive partner. I don't know. Do they have any of those? Do they have that would be it's not going to be a good environment for someone like Ian Mitchell, I think, is part of the issue, too. It's going to they're going to need some real heavy lifting around that. So I don't necessarily disagree with the offensive points that you make made. I just worry that he's not he's not competent defensively enough. And as much as we like to ignore that and just focus on offensive stats, you know, NHL coaches obviously care about that. If you're going out there and giving up tons of chances and getting caved in defensively even if you're creating some offense it's not going to fly and that's what i worry about with ian mitchell and so that's why i'm a little lower on him he probably did deserve some sort of rank just because he is right there on the cusp 
and potentially could still work out because he's right there. But that that's why for me. Yeah, it's not like I ranked him as a superstar prospect. I scored him as a five. So, yeah, I'm not super high on him, but I think he has some immediate value. And who knows if the Hawks are going to be chasing another tank season, he could be pretty valuable to them for that with his poor defensive play. All right, so let's uh, let's switch gears again. Move on to the next team. We're working our way down the rankings. We're into team number 13, which is the Philadelphia Flyers. Though the Flyers' identity, I think, for a while has always been, let's win now. Let's win now and always, all the time. And they have kind of been a little gun-shy to embrace a rebuild or even a retool, sort of. They're always in it to win it. And, you know, to their credit, they have been a very competitive team for a long time. But they have not been a contender for a while now. When was the last time anyone was giving the Philadelphia Flyers good odds to make the Stanley Cup Finals or win it? So they've been kind of in the murky middle for too long. And when you're in that murky middle for too long, it takes a toll on your prospect pool when you're not drafting high enough. And it looks like right now, this team has given the reins to new GM Daniel Gruyere, and they're going to allow him to enter the rebuild era for them. It's kind of uncharted territory for Philadelphia. Their draft history, not the greatest. The team has missed on several first-round picks in recent history with selections like Jay O'Brien, Nolan Patrick, German Rupstov, Samuel Morin. They're all falling under the bust category. But on the plus side, the Flyers have had have a good young core of under-25 players with Carter Hart, who's on the trade block, Cam York, Travis Konechny, Owen Tippett, Fairby, Cates. And their overall prospect pool is is got a nice blend of players at the top, Cutter Goche, Bobby Brink, Cam York, Emil Andrea, Tyson Forrester. We've talked about a lot of these guys on recent podcasts. And even when you work your way down the depth chart, there's some players there that are worth talking. And I think we agree on a lot of the players that are at the top of the list. So we're going to talk about a couple of guys who you'll find a little bit lower down. And there is a little bit of disparity amongst some of the writers on these guys, in particular, you and I. The first one we'll hit on is Ronnie Attard. You didn't rank him and I had him as a six. So better than a five. So my point on Attard here, he's 24 years old. He's 6'3", 207 pound mobile right shot defenseman. So right off the bat, that's a pretty attractive tail of the tape for this player. It's something that NHL teams are coveting and seeking right now. Players who are that size and have that kind of mobility. He passed through two NHL drafts before a breakout performance in his third year in the USHL. He had a nice 30-goal season, 64 points as captain of the Tri-City Storm. Adard played three seasons in the NCAA. After that, at Western Michigan U having 36 points in 39 games as a junior, signed his ELC with the Flyers and played the final 15 regular season NHL games, scored two goals and had four points. So that was two years ago. Last year, Adard played full-time in the NHL, sorry, in the American Hockey League. He's a big mobile physical defenseman. He had 24 hits in his 15 NHL games. In his first full season in the American Hockey League, he had 32 points in 68 games and played for the Americans at the World Championships just recently. He is only 13% fan tracks rostered right now. 
Although I kind of question those ownership numbers as we're in the off season and a lot of pools haven't been renewed. So take that with a grain of salt, but he's arguably the flyers most NHL ready prospect on defense. If not, maybe one of their better NHL prospects on defense. He's a player that I think could break the roster this fall. I think he's NHL ready now, and he'd be a great producer in multi-cat leagues, giving you a nice little blend of offensive production and some physicality hits blocks penalty minutes not going to win any face off so that's the category he's not going to check because he's the defenseman but think think darnell nurse just without connor mcdavid and leon dreisaitl to drive his offensive numbers so victor you didn't even rank him and i would like to know why well you just made my head explode comparing ronnie atar to darnell nurse i'm gonna i'm gonna need a minute Boom. after that that's a stretch speed, I think. But I do agree with you that he is definitely an NHLer, it looks like. And he blocks shots and hits are great. His bash is excellent. But I'm just not sure that he's going to have the points. You know, half a point, under half a point per game in the NHL as a 23, 24-year-old. Doesn't seem like he's going to be scoring a lot. His PNHLE of 29, meaning he maxes out as a sub-30 point defenseman with good bash. Okay. That's, you know, that's decent value. It's near replacement level or waiver wire fodder in a lot of leagues. Kind of depends on the depth of the league. He does definitely, you know, he's a pretty neutral play driver. Some of these guys that hit and block a lot have kind of really bad underlying numbers in terms of like being caved in. And Atard is not doing that, especially on Philly, which, you know, you said he's one of the better Philly prospects, which, you know, isn't a high bar, but he definitely... <laughs> is going to be struggling with some of the what they have to work with there. But no, I agree with you that he is definitely someone who, you know, he's he's a he's a you know, middle to bottom pairing bash guy. It's just is he going to have enough points to really make it super worthwhile? I probably should have ranked him somewhere. I tend to view a lot of these through the lens of what's the upside. And if the upside is someone I can get off the wire, I'm not as excited about them but certainly while he goes from being minors eligible to losing that distinction he's super valuable because you can flex him up and down through your minor system and get him into your roster and if he's doing what he's doing even if it's you know a close to waiver wire but you can don't have to add and drop him constantly you save your ads you flex them from your minor spots that's super helpful and maybe he does develop a little bit more offense and get a little bit more scoring Maybe Conor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl will join the Philadelphia Flyers, and then he really does become Darnell Nurse. I mean, anything can happen, Pete. Anything can happen. Well, I think he's flexed some offensive muscles. Like I said, he had a 30-goal season in his final year at the USHL. His freshman season at college was not too spectacular, but as a sophomore, he had almost a point a game. And then again, as, as a junior, he had 36 points in 39 games. So, you know, four points in 15 games at the in the, at the NHL level after after he signed his ELC. So I think there's some potential there and you know he made the American World Championship roster as well, scored a goal in four games there for the Americans. Small sample size, but that's against you know, NHL quality competition. So I think there's some upside here and yes, while he's on his ELC, that's when his value in fantasy is at its highest. You know, if he starts signing four or five, six million dollar contracts, then then you'll see him on the waiver wire then. 
Sure. I mean, those good seasons were a while ago. I'm just saying the statistical models say it's pretty much nearly impossible that he becomes a over 30 point defenseman. But I hear you. It has happened. It could happen again. Ronnie Attard, probably worth more than a non-rank for me. Okay, let's move on to the next guy. Ethan Sampson. I was definitely higher on this guy than you. I had Ethan Sampson as a seven. You had him as a three. So pretty decent separation there. He's a 2021 six round pick, six foot one, 180 pound right-handed D assistant captain at the Prince for the Prince George Cougars, WHL. And he, this was likely his last year in junior where he scored a point per game. That's pretty good. It's about as much as you can ask for a defenseman and, you know, except for your elite top of the top PNHLE of 64. He has similarity scores of some NHLers, Braden McNabb, Dyson Mayo, Alexandra Carrier. And somehow he got left out of our guide though. I think I would have included him. If you look at hockey prospecting, he didn't have a really good D minus one season, but he had a really good draft season. And since then he's been raising his equivalency 15% chance of being a star right now in the hockey prospecting model. He looks like a lot of decent NHLers. Only Mata is one of the comps. Keith Yandel, a couple of guys who didn't make it. And Brian Campbell is someone who I think he actually looks somewhat like. You know, obviously Campbell was pretty awesome star producer. Campbell was a little bit shorter, but an incredible skater, an incredible processor of the game. I don't think Samson rises to that level. So there's definitely a little bit of difference there. And I should also mention that the top-down hockey model is way cooler on, on Ethan Sampson. So a little less to be excited about there. But, you know, he's got good size, got good mobility. He's got decent peripheral coverage. And at least in his last year of junior, he scored a point per game. In his previous season, he was 43 points in 68 games. And then, you know, his draft year was when they were, they did, the WHL barely played. You know, they had that really shortened season. So it's kind of hard to tell from there. But anyways, you know, I'm not, maybe seven is a bit high, but I think you have to like the trajectory that he's going at. And PNH Lee of a 64, you know, that's pretty aggressive perhaps, but, you know, a pretty decent high scoring defenseman is someone who maybe you'd be excited about, but I guess you're not, Pete. So Ethan, his last name, Slippy Swami Samsonite. Ethan Sampson. I was way off. I knew it started with an S, though. He's a late draft pick by the Flyers. So not a lot of draft stock invested by the team in him. Less so than a lot of the other defensive prospects they have in the system. And, you know, when teams draft players in the early rounds, they get a lot more opportunity to crack the roster than the guys who are late round picks. So he's got that working against him. He had a nice breakout season, like you mentioned, in the WHL with 60 points. He had some pretty good peripherals in that season, too. But I want to see that he's more than just a late bloomer, not just someone who had a breakout season as a 19-year-old in his senior year in the WHL playing against a younger competition. I want to see what he can do in the American Hockey League next year. And if he can continue this momentum that he has going on here, then I'd be more interested. But for now, I'm cautiously optimistic that there is some potential here. But I just need to see more consistency and that he can do that at a higher level because I haven't seen enough from him yet to invest fantasy stock in him. Fair. I definitely 
am eager to see what the next step holds for Ethan Samsonite. I mean, Samson. So we'll, uh, we'll have to wait and see. Light the lamp during the hockey playoffs with DraftKings Sportsbook. Right now, new customers can make a $5 bet and score $150 in bonus bets instantly. Odds for the game five of the Stanley Cup Finals has the Florida Panthers plus 145 and the Vegas Golden Knights as a minus 170. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and sign up with code THPN. New customers can make a $5 hockey playoff bet and score $150 in bonus bets instantly. That's code THPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Let's move on to the next team, Nashville Predators and the Nashville. We're going to be in Nashville. That's exciting. So the extra bonus points here for the Predators, but they've had some pretty good prospects. They should they should get another one, decent one at 15th overall where they're picking this year. They have one of the best goalies. Yaroslav Askarov, a few good forwards, Philip Tomasino, Joachim Kemmel, Luke Evangelista, most of whom we pretty much agree on. And then there's some depth forwards like LaRue and Schaefer. I would personally include Parson in closer to this group, but Peter would disagree. We'll get to that later. Another guy in the middle to the bottom of the ledger who I am higher on is Simeon Shistakov. And he's the guy we're going to talk about now his last name is c-h-i-s-t-y-a-k-o-v shistakov and he is a 21 year old left-handed d fourth round pick from 2019 he's 200 pounds he's, he's about to be 22 played last year for avant-garde omsk in the khl he's actually played there the last three seasons and last season he was just over a half point per game as a defenseman so pnhle of 51 that's pretty interesting and his equivalency score, he looks like not super exciting guys. And that's partially because, yeah, this is a bit of an uptick from his previous numbers, including last year, where I mentioned he was just over half point per game. Well, last year he had two points in 33 games. So, yeah, I know that's a big jump. And the year before that, he had three points in 39 games. But, you know, there's definitely some time on ice discrepancy there between the different seasons. The top-down hockey model is pretty cool on him. Looks like very high on him being an NHLer, but maybe not so high on him being a point producer, which is probably fair. And the hockey prospecting model is pretty cool on him as well. Very unlikely to be a point producer and even less, not as likely to be an NHLer, actually. And the only guy that looks like him in this model who is recognizable to listeners is TJ Brody as an average producer. So... I'll admit, a bit on the older side, but not too old. Maybe just coming into his prime, maybe a late bloomer. At least he had a pretty good KHL season. He's not on the Dauber guide, but he's someone, you know, I don't know. As a depth flyer, at least at least he had an uptick and maybe worth, you know, just kind of keep an eye on, see if he does anything else. That's my take on him, Pete. What do you think? For a while there, it sounded like you were kind of making my point for me for not ranking him, saying that all these outlets aren't really projecting him to be either an NHL or a point producer. So it's not that I'm not interested at all in this player. I, I agree with your selling points on him. My concerns are, to your point, he is turning 22 years old now, so the clock is ticking. But it's not a huge deal. 22 is not that old. But he also has another year on his current KHL contract. So it's going to be 23 before he's even eligible to come over to North America. And quite frankly, who knows where he'll sign after that. 
might stay in Russia, might come over. There'll be some AHL adjustment time there. And, you know, then the clock keeps on keeps on ticking the way it does. My other concern is outside of last year's point breakout, I don't see much production. And like you said, again, that might have everything to do with ice time and deployment that he received as a young player playing in the NHL. But I don't watch many KHL games. I'm just going off the stat line and I don't like what I see there. I am happy to hold off on this file for now and see how he does in the coming season. If he continues to produce at a similar or better rate than he did that just past season and then where he signs a contract after that. Once if he signs another three year deal in the KHL, then he's dead to me. But if he comes over to North America, the KHL season will end before the NHL regular season does. So even if he goes on a playoff run in the KHL, he, we could see him in North America before the season's over. And then then that'll have him pop up on my radar. You also mentioned a minute ago in your intro for Nashville, a player that we'd circle back on. And let's do that now. Let's talk about Yuso Parsonen. You gave him a three ranking, so a long shot to make the NHL. I was a little higher on him. I ranked him as a seven. And the consensus rankings for Nashville had him, checking notes, fifth overall on Nashville's prospect pool. So you're a little bit lower than the consensus on this one. And so my thought on this player is every once in a while, a prospect kind of comes out of seemingly nowhere and makes the NHL. A recent example of this would be Yegor Sharon Govich with the New Jersey Devils. So the Predators seem to have one such player in the big Finnish winger Parsonen. He's kind of found money as a seventh round selection from the 2019 draft. He's been quietly putting points on the board over in Liga for the past few years. Preds took notice of that and signed him to his ELC and loaned him back for one more year of development in the Liga. And after a 32-point season in 41 games and then 12 more points in 18 playoff games there, Nashville had seen enough. Around the North America, he had a strong training camp and was assigned to the AHL. But after a short little stint down there, he proved that he was NHL ready, came back up, posted nine points in 25 games, was recalled to the NHL and has not looked out of place with 25 points and 45 games along with 76 hits. So he's still cheap on the final year of his ELC. His Fantrax roster ship is listed at 56%. So there is a pretty good window of ownership opportunity for you to scoop him up in your deeper deep cut dynasty leagues. And, you know, I think for a player that seems to kind of be establishing himself as an NHL player. How come again, Victor, I'm not sure where you're, you're coming for here. Where's the love for you? So Parsonen? Well, you said my three was based on him, not likely to be an NHL or that's not what my three is based on. I like to rank more on upside. And so he had a 46 point pace on 12% shooting, getting maybe a hit per game. And, you know, there's a little bit of variability there. He had a really high PDO, save percentage and shooting percentage. He had a really high points percentage when he was on the ice and an extremely high power play points percentage. He was pretty much all of his, anytime he was out there, he was either lucking or skilling into a goal, however you want to put it. But those numbers scream regression. And so 46 point pace may be a high watermark for this guy. I don't know, but that certainly looks like that according to some of his numbers. I'm sorry, I said a hit per game, a shot per game. 
is what I meant. And so when you're shooting only once per game and 12% of those are going in, that's not highly reproducible. So there's a lot of variability there that I think could regress hard. None of the players who look like him statistically were more than a replacement producer. So if you look at some of the equivalency models, they, in the hockey prospecting in particular, they all look like replacement level producers. So is this a replacement level producer who is getting, who had some good deployment and got lucky this year? I think that is a possible outcome. I'm not saying that is true and that he can't reproduce that and can't get a 50 ish point pace i think that's reasonable i think he he could get that again he's done it or close to that once already i just think that there's volatility in those numbers and i wouldn't necessarily bank on that and i'm not sure that his upside is more than 50 55 that's kind of where i think he's going to be i know that our guide has a comparable as david Krejci for him with 65 plus points i don't i wouldn't say that personally but I'm definitely more open-minded to this player than some of the other ones that we've talked about. I will say as a counterpoint to my own point is that the expected goals for four on Evolving Hockey, he had more expected goals than actual goals. So he was generating a good amount of offense, even if he was getting quote-unquote lucky. So those two things are kind of hard to <laughs> put together because they seem at odds with one another. So I definitely think that Yusuf Parsonen can be a decent producer personally i struggle with these guys who don't shoot because when you don't shoot when you barely shoot once a game your scoring is highly volatile you could get pretty much nothing you can get a string of points here or there Braden point to me was the classic guy like this but he's been shooting a little bit more lately but still there's a good chance for points but also there's a chance that you're going to do nothing and that's sometimes you know frustrating in fantasy so yeah, I mean, I definitely think Yusuf Parson is going to get opportunities and he has the potential to be, you know, 50 point pace or more. But yeah, that's just the that's just the volatility is why I scored him a little bit lower. And the fact that I'm not sure he has much upside beyond that. All right. Good points there. So let's move on now and let's talk about the 11th overall ranked team, New Jersey Devils. The Devils have been quickly rebuilding their team and they now have one of the youngest rosters in the NHL with six first round picks in the past three drafts. The prospects pipeline will continue to infuse the roster with premium prospects for the foreseeable future. They got more players under 25 years old than over on the roster, including core players like Jack Hughes, Nico Heischer, and Dawson Mercer. The scouting staff there has done a really good job identifying prospects to target in the draft, and the organization has also done a really good job developing players like Miles Wood, Jesper Bratt, and Jäger Serengovic, who were all selected after the second round and had developed into NHL players. The first guy we're going to talk about, though, Victor, in the pipeline for the Devils is Tice Thompson. A player who, incidentally, I just picked up for free off the waivers in one of my leagues. You didn't even rank him, and I gave him a score of six. So a little bit better than a 50-50 chance to make the NHL. My point on him is he scored 19 goals in 34 NCAA games as a sophomore. He scored a point per game as a junior and as an AHL rookie. His production has slipped slightly, but the Devils are hoping he is a late bloomer like his older brother, Paige Thompson. In fact, their point totals are pretty similar through their junior careers. So speaking of his brother, he's been very comparable 
to his big brother career-wise, slightly outperforming him in the NCAA and just below at the American Hockey League. Tage Thompson was pretty vanilla, if you remember, until he turned 24 and then suddenly he wasn't anymore. He just turned into a superstar overnight. He bounced around up and down between the NHL, a couple of teams, and then exploded in Buffalo. So I decided Tyson in my league as a free agent, like I said, he was a no-cost ad player for me. And I think he'll be in the NHL this year. The Devils have nine free agent forwards to sign this summer, including three unrestricted free agents, Miles Wood, Eric Holla, and Thomas Tatar specifically. So there's plenty of opportunity in New Jersey for him. And if he stays in the minors, I can just bury him on my minors roster and watch him monitor his development for another year. You know, player who I ranked as a six was a free ad to my pool. I'm not saying he's going to follow Tage's career path to a T and turn into a 94-point player, but if he's someone who I can add off the waiver wire for free, and then he plays 60-plus NHL regular season games this year and is a half-point-per-game player and throws in some perifs, is a player who gives me some roster flexibility, a guy who's got minor eligibility, I can you know squish him up and down my roster when injuries come around and whatnot. He's cost-effective on an entry-level contract. He's not great, but this, I only ranked him a six. There's a lot to like there. And Victor, you didn't even give him a ranking. So I guess I don't want to assume why you didn't rank him again, because last time I was wrong. So I'll let you make your counterpoint and tell me why you didn't even give him a score at all. Sure. Well, you're comparing him to his brother, but the difference, the huge difference is that Tice did what he did in the NCAA two years later than what Tage did. So when you look at, this is why you have to look at equivalencies and not just league production, because what Tage did at the USHL was better than Tice two years younger as a D minus one. Tice didn't do it until his, his true D plus one year. And so there's a big difference there between doing what Tice did as a D plus two in the NCAA and Tage doing it in the NCAA as a D draft eligible freshman. So I think that's a big important piece there. And when you look at the numbers, Tice statistically would be a complete anomaly to be a star producer in the NHL. He has a 0% chance of being a star and he had a 0% last year. So you have to work hard in Byron's model to get a zero. He pretty much spots everyone a 5% chance of being a star until they earn their way out of it, so to speak. And so Tice has basically gotten to that point. And I'm not saying any of this is impossible. And I do agree that he is, you know, he's close to making an impact. And certainly he could get some deployment next to some really good players. All of that is within reason. His PNHLE is 18. That is not interesting. And, you know, all of these numbers basically suggest that he's not really that close to Tage. I'm sure anything can happen. But, you know, even our Dauber guide kind of suggests that he's going to be a bottom sixer. So that's what I expect from Tice Thompson. Sure. Free ad. You want to wait and see. Nothing wrong with that. You can flex him up and down. Maybe he gets some games. I really like that doing that with players who are close and kind of just seeing what happens. And maybe they surprise you. And that could happen with Tice. No, no question. But. That's why I'm not super excited about Tice. Let's move on to the next guy, Topias Villain. Now, this is definitely not someone I'm going to bang the door down about, but we had to talk about somebody on this team because most of the great players we agree on. So there's not as much interest in talking about all the players we agree on. But Topias Villain is a 
Left-handed D. He was, uh, it's a deep cut. He was taken the fifth round, 2021, 6'1", 194 pounds. Played in the Liga the last three seasons, just turned 20. So most of his Liga play was as a teenager. And that's kind of impressive that, you know, you can do that. It's such a difficult professional league. 17 points in 41 games. Remember, the Finnish league is a really low scoring league. So that may not sound like a lot, but it equates out to a 51 PNHLE, which, you know, is interesting in that PNHLE model. In fact, his PNHLE similarity score, he's got some NHLers there that are pretty interesting. Nick Jensen, Jason Demers, and Brent Burns. Now, I'm not saying this guy's going to be Brent Burns. I, if I were to bet on any of them, I'd probably be closer to Nick Jensen than anything. But the PS villain in the hockey prospecting and top-down hockey model, I will say, looks looks far worse and statistically less likely to be interesting. Not mentioning the Dauber guy, not super surprising. He's over in Finland. He didn't put up huge numbers, but he did play decent minutes for the Pelicans and put up some put up some points, which is hard to do in that league. He should be in the AHL next season, so we should see him in North America playing professionally. And, you know, he could be in the NHL relatively soon. Of course, the blue line there is getting crowded, but someone's going to be needed need to be paired with those strong right-handed D of Nemec and Hamilton. So his Corsi against and expected goals against were really good for Tapias Villain in the Liga. So that portends to maybe him getting some playing time. But I guess we just have to wait and see what he does in the AHL. Put him on your watch list, probably. Not someone super exciting, but it's a name to know, I would say. What do you think, Pete? Well, it looks like he had a good year last year, like you said, and and Liga. But outside of that, he doesn't really appear on my radar at all. He lacks draft pedigree, and with the competition to make the Devils' defense, I really don't like his chances of beating out Luke Hughes, Dougie Hamilton, Simon Nemec, Jonas Siegenthaler, John Marino, Kevin Ball, Seamus Casey for a roster spot. Like those guys are way ahead of him in my estimation. So I'm not sure I want to invest a roster spot in him at this point. I did not rank him. He didn't make the consensus organizational rankings. He didn't make the draft guide. He might be a nice sleeper pick or someone you want to put on your watch list. But for right now, he's not a, a player I want to in, invest in. Uh, I think he's watch list material for now. Let's move on to the last team, the Winnipeg Jets, number 10. The Jets are an interesting team. They have some really good pieces, but we've heard a lot of scuttlebutt coming out of Winnipeg, PLD first, and now Connor Hellebuck won't sign extensions, basically pulling a Matthew Kachuk on the organization, maybe forcing a trade. Some of the other top players like Mark Shifley seem pretty unhappy. I don't know where this team is going, but they probably are taking a new direction here pretty soon. They've been a go-for-it team, which is kind of surprising that their prospect pool is so good, but we agree on most of the top guys like Cole Perfetti, Chaz Lucius, Rucker McGrody. All of these guys are you know, pretty strong at forward, and they have several decent defenders, all at kind of different stages of development. Ville Hainola, Declan Chisholm, Dimitri Kuzman, Dylan Sandberg. We're all pretty close on them. We previously expressed our skepticism of Brad Lambert, so we don't need to rehash that. And Leon Gavanke got a mention on the last pod. Let's talk about the guys that we're a little different on, and I'm actually higher on both of them, so I'll kind of make the case, although none of these guys are super super amazing. And one of them's a goalie, which always you feel a little weird talking about goalies because you just never know. <laughs> but you didn't rank either of these guys, so we'll start with Arvid Holm. He's the goalie, in case you're wondering, playing at home, which one's the goalie? It's him. 
that's a fun game to play, I guess. Arvid Holm is, well, he's huge. He's a six foot five, 205 pounds, was drafted way back in 2017 in the sixth round. In my opinion, that's a good time in the draft to take a goalie because <laughs> they take so long. Arvid Holm, you know, he's been in Manitoba just for the past two seasons. Before that, he was in the SHL. He had some really good numbers for Farjastad in the SHL in 2019-20, And then he came over to North America and he really struggled last season with the Manitoba Moose, 877 save percentage. And this year he improved that. But I will say his main competition previously was Mikhail Berdeen. And he went over to Russia after last season. He kind of outdueled Holm that first season, but you know it was a tough adjustment for Holm. And then this season... He had a lot more of the starts, and he was better than Oscari Salmanen, who was a free agent that they signed and put in the in the AHL. So Holm was able to really kind of improve on that mark. And if you look at hockey prospecting, he has some pretty high equivalencies, especially in his D-plus-4 season, which was the last SHL season he had. And he looks kind of similar to Anton Forsberg of similar countrymen, Swedish prospects. So... That's someone who has who probably should generate some interest. Our guide lists home as probable A1 split starter at best with some pretty decent numbers. So, you know, I don't know that this will happen, Pete, but if Hellebuck walks, they need someone to play goalie. And Arvid Holm is probably the best internal option. I think it's probably similarly likely that they just go sign someone rather than hand the reins to him. But he could compete for the job. He could get a 1B. And, you know... Might does did that change the move the needle for you at all? Do you think Arvid Holm could be the next Anton Forsberg, and would you have any interest in that? I like how tall he is. Look, goalies can take longer to develop, and Holm's now twenty four years old, so he's kind of getting close to being what he's going to be. One concern I have is the limited number of games he's played. Just quickly scrolling through his Elite Prospects page, in the last going backwards, the last couple seasons he's played 35 games 24 games 24 31 32 like pretty pretty low volume of work there so that's a little concerning he's good he's got good stats but even if he makes the nhl my concern is can he play the volume of games that will make him valuable in fantasy and i just don't know about that what's his stamina what's his mental stamina how's he gonna How's he going to handle it? There will be some opportunity in the Jets' goal, depending on trades this summer. So I like the potential there. But I don't know who the favorite is between him or Michael Burden or Oscari Salmanen. I don't know who the favorite is at this point between those three. Not a great goalie prognosticator. So I'd probably just avoid that bet all entirely. And no, so... Yeah, I will say that on our on my other show, Fantasy Hockey Life, I do a series where I interview Kat Silverman, and she knows about goalies, especially prospect goalies. So we haven't gotten to Winnipeg yet, but I will definitely be asking her. And Berdin being in Russia, I'm not sure. I mean, he's even older and has struggled the last couple of years, so I'm not sure that he's in the mix. But yeah, it could be Salman. He played more games in the AHL, but his numbers weren't as good, so you never know. Let's talk about the last guy, Elias Salomonson, 2022 second round pick. And he was 55th overall, six foot one, 180 pound right handed D, played mostly in the J20 last year. This season was almost entirely in the SHL for Sheleftia AAK. 
five points in 25 games, not super exciting, but he is really young. August 31st, he is two weeks away from being eligible for this year's draft, which I think he probably would have gone a little higher playing this entire draft year in the SHL. So again, being an 18-year-old in a really difficult pro league, that's tough. That's tough. His PNHLE, based on his production there, was 38. So 38-point defender with some pretty decent bash. Not bad. His similarity score on on the NHL Rankings app has some kind of hilarious rank similarities. One of them is Scott Harrington. The other is Eric Carlson. I don't know how those two are in the same conversation. John Marino is kind of the in-between one there. I think that's probably a more realistic outcome, if anything. And in hockey prospecting, he has about a 10% chance of being a star, 50% chance of being an NHLer. He looks like a lot of decent contributors. Jordan Leopold is one. Darren Van Imp is another. He actually looks a fair amount like Brent Seabrook in this model, who, you know, certainly an incredible, you know, real life producer and won cups with Chicago. Uh, But in terms of fantasy, he was kind of an average producer. And I think Elias Solomonson could be that, you know, and I, our guide has him as a comp of Damon Severson and, you know, definitely someone to consider these guys. I always like when someone is really young like this, to me, they just have so much more of a runway to improve. And that's something I really like about Solomonson. If they're a little bit older and they don't have as much time to improve, then that's a little bit, a little bit less exciting. So I'm not saying this guy's going to be amazing. I'm not saying he's going to be Eric Carlson. I think that's kind of silly, but uh, he does. He did play in a really tough league at a really young age and did really well. So I think there's a lot of runway to improve here. What do you think, Pete? So again, this is a player I just, I've got, I don't have much of a file on. It's impressive that he played in the SHL, but his production there was not so great. His J20 production was good, but lots of players can produce there. For the information I have and for what I've seen, which Granted, is very little. Saw some World Junior games where he didn't really stand out there either. So, based on the information, the data, and the information that I have, which is limited, I have no interest in rostering him. He's a long-term project, to be sure. So, I would put him on a watch list, perhaps for now. Keep an eye on his 19% Fantrax rostership, but he's a guy who's going to be easy four years out. So, I'm not sure I see the upside there that's worth that long-term investment. You know what I mean? I think I'd rather go with one of the other players who we talked about who has very limited upside, but I'll find out in a year or less if he's someone who's going to be able to contribute for me right away, or I'd rather, you know, commit a long-term prospect spot to someone who has some more upside, who is a legitimate Eric Carlson comparable. That's my take on this player. All right, so that's going to be a wrap for this episode. Thanks, everyone, for listening to Bob Dauber Prospects Report number nine. Thanks to Kevin Longwell for our logo. Again, check him out on Instagram at Kevin Longwell. For feedback on the show or to chat with us, you can follow us on Twitter at DPR underscore show, at Farling, at Victor Nuno 12, at Saber 91. Don't forget to follow the HockeyPodNet and all the great podcasts on the network. Please subscribe to the show on iTunes and Spotify or the podcast aggregate of your choice. Give us a five-star review. And like we said off the hop, leave your name in the section and you'll go into a contest where you can win a copy of the Dauber Prospect Report. And 
dominate your fantasy league there. So leave us a review. It really helps the show. That's it for this episode. Keep your stick on the ice, everybody. So swim, swammy, sl- slippy, slappy, swimming, salmon, salmon, swanson, swanson. Maybe it's on the briefcase. Look on the. Oh yeah, it's right here. Samsonite. I was way off. Let's do that hockey. <laughs> <laughs>